Yehuben Tabai, Vishimun Ben Shotach. These are the next two sages, Kibu Mehem, who received the tradition from Yeshua Ben Prachi and Itara Bailey. So Yehud Ben Tabai Omer, Yehuda Ben Tabai says, Alkas Atzmecha Koorchia Dayomen. Don't make yourself like the lawyers that teach how to deal and prosecute. We know that if there is a judgment taking place or a court case taking place, none of the Dayonim, none of the judges are permitted to speak to the prosecutor or the defendant at all. And if they do, they are not allowed to judge anymore. We're afraid that maybe, number one, they will receive a bribe. The Torah says, HaSholchad the Sholchad, the bribe, blinds the eyes of the wise, Yisalef and crookeds, Divrei Tzadikim. And Rashi says a very, very profound statement. Rashi says the words, Efsher, it's impossible that if a dying gets a bribe, that he will not be swayed. Therefore, any defendant or prosecutor that talks to the judge disqualifies the judge because it's almost impossible that the judge will not be affected. We're also afraid that the judge shouldn't tell the defendant or the prosecutor what they should claim and what they should say that will find favor in his eyes. So the Torah was very, very concerned about truthful judgment, that everything should be on the up and up. That's a very, very important principle. Nobody's ever allowed to think that they can't be swayed. On a spiritual level, it applies to our own lives. Sometimes we fool ourselves. When we have to make a judgment call, we fool ourselves. Because of our personal interest, we don't judge the situation properly. That's why it's important a lot of times when you have major decisions to make to discuss it with a rabbi or somebody just to make sure that you're on track because it's very, very easy to talk yourself into thinking that what you are thinking is correct when it's really not. And many times, your own religiosity can get in the way and make you think something is proper that's not really proper. It's not only about judging other people, but it's about judging ourselves also. It also means here that you're not allowed to be forceful in judgment. You can't force people into saying different things and doing different things. It also means, don't be a big shot. If you're not learned like the great sages, don't try to pretend that you are an equal to them. That means there is a certain aspect of humbleness over here. That when you stand in a situation of judgment or judging, that you need to know your place, and that you have to have respect for judgment and for the judges. Now, he says another very profound statement here. When the people that are part of the dispute, when they are standing before you, you should consider them unrighteous. In other words, during the time that testimony is being given, you 
can't favor what they're saying. You can't have a predisposition. You can't even show a face or a smirk or a smile or an indication that you like one person's argument better than the other because the other people will then get frightened. You have to be very, very neutral. Extremely, extremely neutral. So when you are listening to the defense and to the prosecution, you need to treat everyone exactly the same. Not only that, the reason he says, when they stand you, but never they should be like evil people. That means that the judge even has to suspect that they may not be saying the truth. We go to the opposite extreme. The reason that's so important, like that's really a harsh statement. I mean, you have two rabbis that come to you in judgment, and you got to look at both of them as evil. But the Torah says you got to do that. Because there's a certain value to that attitude. What's that value? That if you are suspicious of their arguments, you will take nothing for granted, and you as the judge are going to dig and dig and dig, and you are going to put them through a very, very strong cross-examination. As long as you are suspicious of them, as long as you have an attitude, I can't trust them, you are going to consistently ask them questions. And you're going to delve in deeper and deeper and deeper. And a lot of times, through that exercise, a lot comes out that otherwise wouldn't have come out. So they, all of a sudden, the people that are defending and prosecuting, when they see the judge is not trusting what anybody says, they start to become less confident with what they are saying. They start to back down. They start to be a lot more careful with their words because they see that the judge is not impressed by their costume or by their fancy speech. And that gives everyone in the courtroom a certain measure of confidence. And that helps the truth should come out. There were big psychologists, the rabbis, and they understood. They understood deep down what's going on. And the undercurrent, and that gives us a tremendous confidence in the wisdom of our judicial system. Now he says something very interesting here also. And when they finally leave you after the judgment has been passed, they should appear to you. It means you should look at them. Like they are both meritorious. That they're both right. When they have accepted the judgment. Now this begs for explanation. You can't have both people right. One was right and one was wrong. It says here when they leave you means it's talking about both. The defendant and also the accuser. And they're both supposed to be considered like they are right. Although one of them was not right. So how does that work? So this goes back again to what we said before about judging people favorably. That the judge has to say to himself that the guy that was guilty, he must have made a mistake. 
he didn't really know. Or let's say somebody accused somebody of stealing. And the guy says, I didn't steal. It's possible he didn't know that he was stealing. So there's a tremendous lesson over here.